With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. From Light in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hey there, and welcome to today's program. Delighted to have you with me again for another edition of Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. Uh, we had a great uh, parents panel last week. If you haven't listened to it, that's a uh, must listen. But today we are um, open for calls, and my plan for today is to answer as many emails as possible. But as you know, on this program, uh, live callers take priority. So once again, if you um, want to call in, that number is three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one. And um, as you know, if you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air, or muted, as the case may be. Um, but uh, what do you want to talk about today? We've got some emails that have stacked up that I'm going to try to respond to. But if you're uh, having difficulty um, using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to, well, identify lagging skills and unsolved problems in your child, uh, if you're having difficulty doing Plan B, any aspect of it, if you have a child who's uh, having difficulty participating in Plan B or running into trouble getting the folks at school to participate in collaborative problem solving and Plan B, or if you've got a co-parent or a grandparent or a coach or, well, you name it, who's having trouble implementing collaborative problem solving and seeing behaviorally challenging kids through the lenses of lagging skills and unsolved problems, well, do call in. Uh, feel free to uh, call 347-994-2981. Uh, feel free to comment, ask whatever questions you have, get the support you need. Or, of course, uh, the other option is to just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. And if calling in is not your style, you can always send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. No caller. Ah, we do have a caller. So we're going to practice what we preach here, 
and let's bring our caller on the air from area code uh, 617. And then uh, if we have time, we'll answer some emails because they have stacked up. But uh, caller, your timing is excellent. You caught me just before we were about to jump into emails. So uh, what's on your mind today? Dr. Green? Yep. Uh, this is an accident. I didn't mean to press one. I was just calling in to listen to the show. <laughs> ah, no worries. Well, well, Truth I is, you. okay. <laughs> this is this is Pete, and I I think I think I did the same exact thing last week, and you had called, and I wasn't sure, but I think you were calling to, uh, for me, and I didn't realize that I had accidentally pressed one or something like that. But anyway. Um, yes, you can you so, can listen to the program. The the easier way to listen to the program is to just log on to the Lives in the Balance website and listen from there. Oh uh, yeah, but see, I'm on the road, so I'm usually uh, using my phone to dial the number. And, okay, so go ahead. What's on your mind? So, um, my daughter Haley is. Uh, let's not use any names. Let's try, oh, let's sorry. try to my keep things confidential old. here. Yep. Yeah, my 13 year old. Um, is participating in the collaborative problem solving through a, um, you know, we have a clinicians trying to help us with it. And so yesterday we had um, a discussion centering around the iPhone. So um, she wants a new iPhone, and we sort of decided we were going to have, uh, you know, sort of a collaborative problem solving discussion around that. So we heard a lot of her concerns, which were that, uh, she's due on her contract for a new phone, so she has no phone. Her current phone is actually inoperable and not working. Um, she told her friends that she's getting an iPhone because I had at one point said, you know, I said maybe I will get you uh, the phone as an early present, and I kind of hinted at that, but my daughter's very black and white, and so she sees things as, he is going to get me a phone, so he, now she has told her friends. So uh, after we heard her concerns, we put our concerns out on the table. And this is where we kind of get into a, a problem, is that, you know, my wife started with the cost, which is, of course, the phone is very expensive itself for $200, and then an additional cost for, um, I guess, most of these smartphones require that you have a um, a data package, which is, so it's an extra thirty dollars. So we had cost issues. We had um, other concerns in terms of previous phones that she's had that have gotten broken, washed, um, dropped, lost, all kinds of things like that. So that was uh, a, a concern as well. So we put several concerns out there on the table, and this is where we kind of we never get to in any of our problems. We never get to what's try to figure this out. It's always, um, she will always argue with our concerns. In other words, trying to invalidate our concerns, almost like a lawyer. She'll say, well, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be worried about this or you shouldn't be concerned with that. And that's a stupid concern. And, you know, so she, she discounts us constantly and we never get to the point of let's just try, you know, we have our concerns, you have your concerns, let's try to solve this together. But she get and she gets very, very, very uh, angry and upset, and in fact, she got up, stormed out of the room crying <laughs> at this point. So, so you know, we're getting to the, the first, you know, we're getting the the first couple of steps in, which is definitely progress. But 
still getting stuck at the actual problem-solving part of it. Well, and it's a little bit hard for me to comment because I know that you are working with somebody, so it's a little bit awkward for me to be making suggestions about um, what could be being done. But whenever I have a kid who is having difficulty hearing the concerns of the other party, uh, that's often, uh, well, that's not just often, that's something that needs to be explored further. And I'm picking my strategy carefully in terms of, is this something that would be best explored with the child or adolescent, with the parents present? Or is this something that would be best explored, depending on my relationship with the child and the degree to which I feel like it would be more productive for the child and I to talk about um, independently of the parents, just that I can get the best bead on why a given child is um, having difficulty hearing what the uh, other party, the parents, are saying in the define the problem step. And um, it feels to me like that's something that I would want to know in the case of your daughter, um, especially as you're describing it as something that is fairly common, a common place for you all to get stuck, is um, you all hear her concerns and apparently all goes well. Then when you're expressing yours, um, she's um, having difficulty uh, acknowledging them as legitimate, um, hearing them. And I'm just very curious about what she's thinking, leading, by the way, as you're describing, to her getting so upset that she storms out. She's thinking something as she's listening to your concerns. There's something going on in there that has her not thinking. I mean, here's, here's what we'd love her to be thinking. We'd love her to be thinking, all right, this is collaborative problem solving, so I know that after I get my concerns on the table, they're going to get their concerns on the table, and then we're going to work together to solve this problem in a way that works for both of us. And what I need to do now that I've gotten my concerns on the table and they've been heard and legitimized is I need to hear their concerns and understand them as fully as possible so that I can participate in the process of thinking of solutions that will be mutually satisfactory. That's what it would be ideal for her to be thinking. But right. if she's uh, dismissing your concerns and uh, having difficulty listening to them to the point that she's storming out of the room, that tells me that there's something about what she's thinking that is very different from what we prefer that she be thinking. And of course, I was being only slightly facetious. I don't think most people, I don't think most kids sit there and think that uh, exactly as I described it, but I do think that kids who become accustomed to solving problems collaboratively, and, and number one, a lot of the kids that I see who have this difficulty have, as you might imagine, long plan A histories. And so as they are listening to the concerns of their parents, they may not have enough of a plan B history yet to be thinking, this is plan B, we're still good here. They're not, they're not about to lower the boom. They're not about to tell me what to do. They're not about to threaten consequences. I'm not saying that's what your daughter is thinking. All I'm saying is that a lot of kids who I find have, listening, have difficulty listening to the adult concern, there's a good reason for it. And the important thing is to figure out what that is. So without me saying that that's a role that I think that the clinician should be playing here, um, that is a role that I would be playing if I was working with a child who fit the same profile and was having difficulty listening to and uh, was being dismissive 
of parental concerns because there's something going on in her head that is quite different from what we'd like to have going on in her head as she's listening to your concerns. Can I ask you another question? You brought up that the children that fit this profile that dismiss concerns tend to be kids that have been brought up on a lot of Plan A. Is it also possible that this is a kid that's been brought up on a lot of, I don't want to call it Plan C, but uh, and here I am throwing myself under the bus, but as parents, we have in the past been a little mo- more permissive uh, and having and we've given in a lot so that she's found, I don't want to say that she's found power, but she's found it effective to act this way because sometimes we, you know, she, she will, she's so, I don't want to, yeah, she's, she, she's so tenacious that sometimes, you know, she forces us to see her point, and we say, well, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe you do need a phone, and, they, you know. So that kind of thing happens a lot with her, and I think that, you know, maybe if as the more we put up a little resistance to what she wants um, and we're not, like, kind of giving in, the more she becomes more tenacious. And so, I mean, is it also possible that we're being, it, we've in the past been too permissive? I know this is against what you see things as, but I, I we give her a lot. <laughs> you know, we we really kind of give her a lot. And uh, well, Ben, I'm, I'm going to use your words uh, here, the exact words that you're using. Your concern is that maybe you've given in a lot. The definition of giving in, and by the way, that, that it, while it is definitely true that the prototypical presentation that I'm working with is kids who've had an enormous amount of Plan A. Uh, it's also the case that in some instances, it's that the child has, um, the parents have not been putting their concerns on the table, and so the child is more accustomed to Plan C, in which case, finally hearing the parents' concerns would be new for them and difficult for them to listen to. So I certainly wouldn't rule that out as a possibility. Now, two things that I'm wondering about here. Uh, you've called in several times, um, and I must say, um, the instances in which I've heard that your daughter has become upset, um, school choice, other issues that you've raised, school choice being the one that uh, is sticking in my head most prominently, um, those, it felt to me, were more A-ish. But here's the definition of giving in. Giving in is when you start with plan A and end up capitulating or caving because your kid made your life miserable. Now, I'm hearing you that she's tenacious, Um, but the question is, her tenacity really wouldn't be a major factor if you were doing Plan C, per se, because with Plan C, you're saying, I'm not going to put my concerns on the table, and then in which case her tenacity doesn't matter because um, all you're doing is hearing her concern and you're not putting yours on the table, in which case I'm not sure that her tenacity would be a major factor. Her tenacity, I presume, would be a particular factor in plan A. If you're starting out with plan A and then she is tenaciously um, making sure that her concerns are heard, which is not an unusual response of kids to plan A, then um, I could see a scenario in which her tenacity um, and insistence on things going a certain way could end up causing you to capitulate. But that's not plan C. 
That's that's not what the C of Plan C stands for. C doesn't stand for anything. Um, the letter itself. So it doesn't stand for caving. It doesn't stand for capitulating. It doesn't stand for cajoling. Uh, if it was the right letter, as I always say, it would be Plan P, which is prioritizing. And that is that this is just one that you've decided that you're going to table for now and um, not work on right now. That's what Plan C is. So I must say, given the definition of giving in, um, I'm not sure that your daughter's tenacity would be a major factor with Plan C, in which case, to tell you the truth, I'm still wondering what she'd say if there was a sidebar with the clinician or, quite frankly, with you all, asking her. And I, you know, the clinician would have to be the one who would decide what's the best way to go about doing this. Uh, a sidebar saying to your daughter, listen, I've noticed that when your parents are putting their concerns on the table, that seems to be very hard for you to listen to. What's up? And while I wouldn't rule it out completely, I would be surprised if what we heard was, well, the reason I have difficulty listening to it and the reason I get up and storm out of the room is because I know that if I get up and storm out of the room, I'll just get my way anyways. I don't think that's what you're going to hear. But, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out completely, but I actually don't think that's what's going to be. So that's why I'm interested in gathering the information. No, you're right. I don't think that she would say that, and I don't think she would. She is constant. Uh, consciously trying to manipulate. She definitely does become overwhelmed emotionally, and I think she actually did the right thing to just get up and walk out because she was overwhelmed at that point. So I was proud Prob of Probably that. an improvement over other possibilities. But the, the hovering issue here is, why is it that listening to your concerns is so hard for her? What is perhaps she anticipating is going to happen? What is, uh, why does she think that that's what's going to happen? Does she know that this is a different playing field? You know, those are all the things that I'm asking kids who are having difficulty listening to their parents' concerns. So th to the degree that that's where Plan B is getting stuck, to the degree that that's where you're getting hung up, that feels like information that I would very much want to have. Yeah, so it seems like another, a problem to solve is why, you know, we, we notice that you're having a hard time listening to our concerns and, and accepting them as being concerns, legitimate concerns. You know, her... her response to most of our concerns is to argue them and tell us that we're wrong. Like, you should not be concerned about this. So that's, a, that's a dumb concern, you know. In, in which uh, case, as a strategic decision, the clinician would have to decide, is this something that um, I want to explore further on my own? Is this something I want the parents doing? And that's purely an issue of strategy. I, I do need to get to some of the emails today, but I thank you for calling in again, and do keep us posted. Okay, thanks. You bet. Um, always fun to have these ongoing cases um, because we kind of hear how things are progressing. But I've got at least eight emails that I'm, uh, I've got in the queue here to try to get to today. And in no particular order, let's see if we can start with one here. Um, here we go. Uh, Dr. Green, your interpretation of uh, kids who are lacking skills of flexibility Frustration tolerance um, is perfect for most of the children that I work with. This is an occupational therapist emailing. Um, the one question I would like to ask is this. Is there hope for this approach if only one parent is invested in it? I've presented the concept and introduced several parents to your book and have amazingly had a few circumstances uh, in which one parent wholeheartedly sees the benefit of this approach and the other parent remains in plan A mode. Can the parent, can one parent utilize CPS in a home where the other parent is not participating, 
or does this conflict doom the process? Great question. Um, not ideal, I'll certainly say that. Um, but as a clinician, um, I'm constantly checking in with parents to find out if they are um, on board and what their reaction is to the model and what they're thinking about it and any reservations, any things that are making it hard for them to sink their teeth in. And so um, what I'm often, in the same way that as with our caller, I'm interested in knowing why a child is having difficulty hearing the concern or perspective of her parents. I'd also be interested in hearing why a parent or teacher or staff member in a restrictive therapeutic facility, what it is about collaborative problem solving that is tripping them up. What is it that they're stumbling over? So I don't sort of take it as, um, I don't take it laying down that a parent or other caregiver is having difficulty buying into collaborative problem solving and therefore remaining in plan A mode. I've got information to gather. Well, what is it that, 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 what, what's tripping them up? What is it that they're stumbling over? Um, and, and the reality is this. Um, I'm not speaking to this emailer in particular, but the reality is that uh, often we expect that people will come along with collaborative problem solving um, much quicker than we ourselves came along with collaborative problem solving. It, uh, you know, if somebody is thinking a certain way that leads them into plan A, uh, that's a project for many people. You know, there are those light bulb moments for some caregivers, and those are always, of course, gratifying. That, Of course, they delude us into thinking that it's going to be quick for everybody. It's not going to be quick for everybody. Some people um, get on the collaborative problem-solving highway, as I always say, but get off at a very early exit. And the task is to figure out why they get off at that exit. What What's their concern that led them to reject this as lagging skills, to reject, and this is a hard one to, to reject, by the way, to reject that there are specific conditions in which challenging episodes are occurring. Of course, in collaborative problem solving, those are called unsolved problems, that there are specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes. That's it's actually a hard one to reject. What I'm often finding is that um, collaborative problem solving may not have been explained well, but more importantly, that the person who is struggling with collaborative problem solving may not have been engaged in a process using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as the discussion guide in which the lagging potential lagging skills of a given child were discussed, contemplated, thought through, and the unsolved problems that are flowing from those lagging skills identified. They never participated in the process, in which case they missed out on that discussion that I find to be very persuasive. Light bulbs are supposed to go on during that discussion about lagging skills and unsolved problems. I find that if we just light bulbs like, uh, wow, he really is lacking a lot of skills, or wow, no wonder what we've been doing had been working, or wow, kind of feeling bad about how I've been treating him, 
or wow i even though it's hard probably ought to learn more about plan b cuz plan a certainly didn't get the job done and actually is setting in motion some of our worst episodes I find that when we just hand the information to people and don't have them participate in the process of learning about this kid and thinking about this kid and really hashing out lagging skills and unsolved problems, I find that, uh, well, find that it's not as meaningful a process, not as productive, um, not as persuasive. So what I'm doing is I'm gathering information from the person who's having difficulty coming along to find out about that. So a little bit of a hard question to answer because I'm not taking their lack of buy-in or their lack of participation laying down. I want to hear more about it. At the very least, um, we want to process that enough so that perhaps they're willing to give this a try for a month or two and see how it goes. You know, there's a lot of different avenues we can go down with a parent who um, is adamantly refusing to participate. The most important is to find out why that is, why they get off at that exit. And then sometimes the strategy is just to see if we can help them be neutral as the other parent is trying to solve problems proactively using Plan B. And then we have a chance to check in with them later. But um, is the is the process doomed if another parent is not participating? No. But I would say if one parent is trying to use plan B and the other is still relying predominantly on plan A, that's not something we want to let stand. We don't want to take that as a fait accompli. We want to explore that further and find out what's going on with the parent who's having difficulty coming on board. hope that that answers the question. Um, let's try to, well, let me see if we have any callers. We do. In fact, we have two of them. So, uh, actually one, I think that uh, our prior caller is still listening via his phone. So, we're going to take another caller, this one from area code 403. Uh, you're on the air. How are you today? Hi. Can you hear me, Dr. Green? I, I can hear you. Great. Great. Thanks for taking my call. I actually have two questions. Um, I don't know if you have enough time for both or if you'd rather focus on one. So first is about a plan B session that didn't really work out the way I expected. Well, and we the other is about, about those. <laughs> and the other is about um talking with my son's kindergarten teacher tomorrow. L- let's uh let's see let's see if we have time for both. Go ahead. Okay. Well, the plan B session that went awry, um the teacher had told me that my son who's a gifted learner but delayed emotionally, behaviorally, was having a hard time sitting still during carpet time. And so I sat him down. This was proactive, you know, nothing crazy going on, and brought up this issue and asked him what was going on. And he identified a number of physical conditions that sort of made it hard for him to sit. He said, I feel hungry, sometimes I feel hot, Sometimes I have too much energy because we were just in gym. So there were lots of factors um, that he identified. And so I didn't know whether I should just focus on one or take it all on. So what we did is we brainstormed different solutions for each sort of 
condition that made it hard for him to sit. And we came up with a chart that said, you know, if I'm hungry, what I can do is remember to eat a bigger snack. Um, if I'm hot, then I can take a body break and go get my drink of water, which his teachers agreed to. If I have too much energy, I can do armholes or play with a fidget and things like that. But in in real life, I think it's hard for him to remember or to identify which trigger it is that's um, causing him to have a hard time to sit still. So I'm wondering how to revisit it. If I should say, okay, let's focus on just identifying one area or where to go from here, because it hasn't really made a difference, according to his teacher. Got it. Well, um, and first of all, thanks for bringing this up and for calling in. Um, Take some bravery to call in. I understand that. Um, the, 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 The thing that troubles me is exactly what you're saying. First of all, good for you for doing plan B. Secondly, good for you for doing it proactively. Thirdly, you gathered a ton of great information Mm -hmm. Uh, in the empathy step, and actually made headway, it sounds to me, toward uh, solving some problems. The Mm -hmm. tricky part, so all that's fantastic. The tricky part is this. I'm always a little leery of solutions that are designed to be implemented when in the midst of trouble beginning or in the midst of trouble already um, well into trouble. Right. Because that means that a, a sol- that solutions thought of proactively, uh, calmly, outside the heat of the moment, need to be sort of regenerated and uh, recalled in the mm-hmm. heat of the moment. Yeah. And for a lot of kids, um, that's not feasible. Okay. And so as you seem to be pointing out, um, it sounds like there's actually at least three things that he might need to remember and identify. And then yeah. think of the solutions that were associated with each as yeah. he's starting to get uncomfortable during circle time or carpet time, whatever <laughs> right. it's called. Right, And it's I think that that, right, that may be, it sounds like it is, if, if, if it's not working, meaning we're not seeing an appreciable change in his ability to sit through carpet time, One possibility is that um, you'd know better than me, because I don't know your son in the least, that Mm -hmm. sitting still in general is difficult for him, and that no matter what the intervention that would have him getting water or doing something different, um, sitting still is still going to be hard for him. That's one possibility that comes to mind. But that aside, um, I'm wondering how we can transform the solution from something that he has to implement emergently in the heat of the moment mm-hmm. into something that is more proactive that doesn't require that he be quick on his feet and recall solutions and figure out what's the matter in the heat of the moment. That's that's my question. Any is, thoughts on that? Is this something yeah, is this something then that would need to bring in the teacher? I had I had asked him do you want to share this with your teacher? And he said no. And I don't know if that was because he was embarrassed or if he wanted to sort of impress her with his ability to do it on his own. But I wonder if bringing in the teacher on coming up with some way for her to sort of let him know ahead of time that this is what's coming or, you know, is that is that rather than relying on him to be able to identify and implement the solution? 
Well, I'd certainly want to hear more. Uh, when you say I don't know, then it says to me that that's something we would need to explore further with your son and and his him. We don't we're not sure why he doesn't want to bring the teacher in. So that's certainly something we'd want to explore further. Um, okay. Um, as you can tell, w- with our first caller today, as well as with you, I'm not I'm not big on guessing. I'd I'd rather right. find out. You know, I'd rather explore yeah. and gather information about it than I than I know for sure. But um, mm-hmm. yes, it sounds like. Um, there's, it, it, yes, his teacher would be a great resource to bring in. The big question is whether during carpet time, she's yep. going to be in a great position uh, yeah. emergently to figure mm-hmm. out what's going on and to remind him of potential intervention. So it's that that bringing in the teacher, I think, is a great idea. Whether it gets us out of the heat of the moment, I'm right. not exactly yeah. sure. What I'm wondering is whether there are ways to have him prepared with solutions mm-hmm. going into carpet time rather than having to think of something and figure out what it is in carpet time so the you know the the getting a drink part right he could presumably proactively bring if the teacher's okay with it and, and you know another good reason to bring the teacher in is because we'd want to make sure that any solutions we came up with were okay with him or her right um, but that's what I'm sitting here wondering is, given the things he's saying are hard for him during carpet time, mm-hmm. are, are, are there any things we could do to have him set to go no matter what comes up in carpet time right. so that his solutions are at the ready rather than he's got to figure it out and go off and do something else during during carpet time? That That's my big question. What, what do you think? So, so something that would become just, part of the routine like she said that when they come from gym and then have to sit on the carpet it's hard for him because he's got energy and i think he's overheated well, so if you know one question is day, yeah one question is whether sitting on the carpet is something he has to do okay um, yeah you know so, and that that would be sort of proactive uh does he have to right. sit on the carpet can he uh, do a quick assessment and decide whether carpet sitting is feasible for him today or whether you know some other sitting option might make more sense right. for him that day. Um, he okay. could certainly have water at the ready. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm just trying to think to myself, how do we get him out of having to, and her, if, uh, if, if teachers are her, it sounds like. Yes. Um, how do we get him and her out of having to solve the problem in the heat of the moment and into yeah. being prepared for whatever could come up proactively so they don't have to do any quick thinking on their feet. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think That's I can bring question. that up in the meeting tomorrow, um, which leads to that next question about um, we're. It's actually the first meeting of the year to discuss his um, individual program plan. Mm-hmm. And there's two parts to his plan. One is the gifted piece, and then the other is the behavior piece. And I'm I'm pleased with the enrichment piece. I think it's gone well. But all of the goals on his program plan relating to his behavior are um, – I'm a teacher, so I know what they're doing. They're, it's very specific, measurable, achievable kind of goals, but they, I don't think they're really getting at the root of what the problem is. So one of them is, you know, student responds positively to teacher correct three out of t- five times by June. Oh you know, but is, is the program plan the place to try and do collaborative problem-solving or 
is it fine that it's sort of a barometer of whether the teacher-student relationship is working and just sort of let it be what the school needs it to be? Well, you know, it's kind of tricky because, um, you know, in some ways the plan that you're talking about sounds also very much like an IEP, an individualized yeah, it, education plan. Yeah, that's what it's called in Canada. Oh, good. An IEP? We, yeah. we call it the same thing in the States. And, you know, I had yeah. a feeling that um, you were calling from Canada just because of, I think you may have said A in there once, and people, <laughs> whenever, when I, whenever I say A, people want to know if I'm from Canada. And the truth is, I yeah, picked up A Canada. in Canada and find it to be very useful, uh, you know, but I'm not Canadian. Just like sometimes I say y'all, people want to know if I'm from the South. So, you know, you pick yeah. up different things that are useful to you in your language. <laughs> but here's the thing. I find that those goals... Um, Aren't that those goals often have more to do with outcomes, mm-hmm. and that they don't really have to do with the unsolved problems that people are going to be working on with the child or the student collaboratively. And so, right. it's a little bit hard for me to come up with an outcome. You know, given the nature of collaborative problem solving, in collaborative problem solving, as I always say, you don't know where the plane is landing before it takes off. You've got all. A lot of information to gather in the empathy step, a lot of information to gather in the define the problem step. It's kind of hard to know where, what the solution is going to be or what the outcome is going to be. I'd much rather have people focus on the highly specific, and you can write an IEP this way, the highly Mm -hmm. specific unsolved problems that people are going to be working on with your son. Outcome unknown. And therefore percent proficiency unknown. So, like, I wouldn't write a goal that said uh, he will sit in carpet time 60% of the time by June. Why wouldn't I write that? Number one, I don't know if he's going to be sitting in circle time, in in carpet time. He might be sitting in a chair in carpet time. But but that kind of a goal uh, is is sort of what I might call a blind goal, a goal that that is not taking into account all of the stuff that we don't know about yet that's getting in a student's way. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not big on preordained outcomes and therefore right. I probably wouldn't be too enthusiastic about goals being written that way. I think it would be much more productive to figure out what skills your son is lacking and have those be people's lenses and have those be talked about in the front portion of the IEP. And then when it comes to goal setting um, yeah, it's very easy to write a goal that simply says um, staff will explore why uh, sitting in carpet time is hard for this student and will come up with solutions to facilitate him participating in carpet time more reliably and more actively. What a great goal. Yeah. If they have to put a percentage okay. on there, if they have to put a percentage <laughs> on there because that's what the regulations say, that's fine. But, you know, I find that those percentages don't mean very much. We're looking to solve a problem here. So a student should be involved in the goals on their education plan. Like they should know what they are. Well, I think that a student, depending on age, should at the very least, and of course we don't necessarily have to make an announcement on this, um, mm-hmm. the student's going to know what we're working on because we're doing plan B on these unsolved problems. So I'm not, uh, you know, does the student have to be involved in the goal origination? Um, sometimes yes, if it makes sense. Often no. Uh, okay. Does the student should the student be involved in picking priorities? I don't have a problem with that. Often, often yes. Sometimes no. Um, should the student be cognizant of the full range of unsolved problems that we're going to be working on over the course of the school year? 
I don't know. I could see that actually feeling rather overwhelming to the student, especially since we're probably going to be working on two or three of them at a time. You know, you try to work yeah. on eight, ten unsolved problems at once, you're probably not going to get any of them solved. So I, I think the student mostly needs to be in the loop on, here's what we're working on right now, the two or three, and here's what it looks like to participate in Plan B. Uh, we're going to listen and try to get a, a close understanding of your concerns as we possibly can. Uh, we're then going to tell you what our concerns are, and then we're going to put our heads together and try to think of solutions to these unsolved problems. That's what the student needs to know. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you so much for your advice. I wish, and I wish you luck in your meeting tomorrow. It sounds like you have a uh, nice relationship with your teacher, it's, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, so I hope the meeting goes well. and. Keep us posted. Thank you. you Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. Um, I'm going to try to squeeze one more email in here. We only have about five minutes left in the program. And there's one that I really wanted to make sure we got to today. Don't worry. We'll get to the others next week. Here we go. Um, Yes. Uh, Dr. Green, I've been reading over your CPS program for the last few hours trying to understand what it is, how it works, and if it could quite possibly help our son and us. After all the reading, I'm still very unsure if the program will work for my son. I know you say that children will do well if they could, but the challenging children lack some adaptive abilities. However, is it quite possible that for some strange reason or another, there are also challenging children who are not lacking these abilities and are just choosing to behave the way they do. I ask this because from everything I have learned about my son over the last several years and what his treatment team who has worked with him while he was in residential treatment, and from my son's own words has said, is that he not, doesn't lack the ability, he's choosing to behave the way he does. Even just today, when posed this question about his behavior, why do you behave differently at school than you do at home? Is it because you're having difficulty understanding what's being asked of you at home? Or is it because you just don't want to do it and are being defiant? My son answered that he's just being defiant. The thing with my son is that he behaves appropriately at school, does his work with no arguments or fights, gets along with other children. But at home, it's always a battle getting him to do his homework, take a shower, brush his teeth, stop pitting his brother. And by battle, I mean these simple tasks we ask of him usually lead to tantrums and hollering fits that go on for an hour or more where he's hollering at us, punching walls, punching himself, throwing things, etc. So this is why I ask if this program will even work for my son, considering all the feedback from him and professionals that he does not lack the ability or capabilities to exhibit the appropriate behaviors. Um, I do hope to receive a reply from you if we've made it this far. Thank you so much. Well, um, happy to respond. I'm just puzzled. Why would he be choosing to behave maladaptively at school and a, excuse me, maladaptively at home and adaptively at school? Why would it work that way? Um, why would it? Would he be getting his jollies by just being defiant? I don't get it. You, you have named some specific unsolved problems, homework, taking a shower, brushing his teeth, hitting his brother. Um, why would a kid throw a tantrum and have a hollering fit that goes on an hour or more, punching walls, punching himself, Throwing things, 
Why would a kid choose to do that stuff while simultaneously choosing to uh, not do those things at school? That's that's the part I'm having trouble figuring out. Um, here's the good news. You know, I don't know why your son is saying what he's saying. I'm getting the feeling that a lot of people have told him that he's just being defiant, so maybe he's just regurgitating that. Maybe he's just telling us what he's been told. It's also possible that the choice you gave him... Uh, are you having difficulty understanding asked of you at home, or do you just not want to do it? Well, number one, he may just not want to do it. That's possible. It's also possible that he understands fully what's being asked of him, so that's not an option that would be endorsed by him. But I'll tell you what. I would suggest that you try Plan B this week on one or two of the unsolved problems. Try the empathy step on homework or taking a shower or brushing teeth or hitting his brother, and let's see what we find out. Let, let's do it the way it's described on the Lives in the Balance website or in the Explosive Child. And I strongly encourage you to email me back or call into the program and let us know what you found out, because I have a feeling you're going to find out a lot of things that help us recognize that he's not just being defiant, but that he's clearly having difficulty solving these problems on his own and needs your help to do it. Good luck this week. Let us know how it goes. We need to end the program for today. But I'll be back next week with your questions and your emails. Talk to you then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.